You know, it's a, it's a great privilege to be, and an honor to be given this opportunity to address the Asbury community. And um, I've also sent out, um, you know, invites to different people out there. Uh, I'd like to especially um, talk to my class of 84. And I'll be, I'll be talking about some of my childhood and some of the times that I spent with my, with my class, classmates. And um, if any of them are, are listening to me, uh, I'd like to say hi to you, and this is a dedication to you. All right. I'm uh, going to start with a personal testimony, and I'm also going to be touching on some of the themes in my book, Stewards of Power. And we'll then get into the core of what we want to talk about today, which is the scriptures that we've just read just now. So I was born in 1966 in Zimbabwe. A few months after a man called Ian Smith had proclaimed a unilateral declaration of independence in my country, which was Rhodesia at that time. And the declaration itself and the ceremony was modeled on the American Declaration um, of Independence, but omitted two key phrases, that all men are created equal and the consent of the governed. Now, I'm quoting from, directly from a man called David Coltart. He's a, he's a lawyer and somebody who I was privileged to meet, uh, took one of my classes to, to his office, and you know, we really had a great time. It was a faith and work class, and Coltart is a Christian who was living out his faith as a lawyer and as a political leader in Zimbabwe. And he's written a book entitled, The Struggle Continues, 50 Years of Tyranny in Zimbabwe. And he talks about tyranny starting in 1965 with Ian Smith. And he wrote the book in 2015, uh, 50 years later. And he's talking about, um, of course, Robert Mugabe, who was still alive at that time. Now, this is what Coltert says. In his UDI address, Smith said it had struck a blow for the preservation of justice, civilization, and Christianity. And this became the Rhodesian Front mantra. Rhodesia was fighting for the wall of Western society, and the battle was against forces of evil, which were threatening to eradicate Western civilization. It increasingly followed that all who opposed UDI logically were parts of these forces of evil. I'm sure those of us who've, who've studied civilization theory and some of the problems with civilization theory can see that this affected Ian Smith's thinking 
and you know, this is a conflation or they just put together Western civilization and Christianity to become one and the same thing. And of course it isn't. And I'm sure it's becoming more and more apparent that Western civilization is not perfect. And there's a lot of things that we need to, to fix. Everyone in the world needs to look at their communities and their people. So let me go back a little bit to this before I was born to a man called Sir Garfield Todd. Now, Sir Garfield Todd was a missionary. And he came to Zimbabwe or southern Rhodesia, as it was in the 1930s, when he came uh, as part of a mission called Dadaya Mission. And part of what they did was to actually come up with an education curriculum. His wife is the one who came up with an education curriculum. And this curriculum was actually designed, and one of their passions was to help educate the African or the black people in a manner that would put them at the same level as the white person. And they had a passion to, to bring up the African community to the same level in everything as the rest of the community. In fact, what then happened is Sir Garfield Todd felt part of what he needed to do, or he felt God, or he felt the call of God was that he would actually need to move into politics and you'd be more useful in that way. Of course, whether or not that was a good move is debatable, but uh, he did that. And he became the prime minister of Rhodesia. And he helped Rhodesia in many ways, and especially the black people of Rhodesia. In fact, a certain teacher called Mr. Robert Mugabe was a teacher at Dadaya Mission. And Mr. Robert Mugabe was uh, really helped by missionaries in the, you know, who came into the country. In fact, if you really look at the story carefully, you'll find that the impact is even from his birth time and from his childhood up to his adulthood, right up to the time that he relinquished power. He was holding a rosary, and he was, he's a Catholic, he was holding a rosary, and as he relinquished power and gave his speech to resign as the president of Zimbabwe. It was while he was holding his rosary. So I want you to understand that Mugabe saw himself as a Christian. Ian Smith saw himself as a Christian. But Coltart calls them tyrants. 
both of them. Let me go back to Todd. The civil liberties that he wanted to give to black people put him into trouble because he gave education to black people, free education to black people. Of course, we know that nothing is really free. Um, so it was taxing white people to educate black people. And the white community did not like that. And uh, they didn't like the way his policies were geared towards black people. In fact, if Todd had had his way, in 1961, he would have given power to the black community. But Todd did not have his way, and he had to resign. In fact, he lost the population. Now, we then get the environment in which Ian Smith then comes into power. And of course, it's the radical opposite of Todd. And uh, that then caused an uprising and eventually a war in our country. So these are the years in which I was born. 1965, November, there's UDI, and I'm born in this country. We stayed in a black area. There was an area which was reserved only for black people, and white people stayed in other areas. That's, where, that's how I grew up. But my parents were more privileged than most. We were in the city. My parents were more privileged than most. My dad worked at Air Rhodesia at that time, and my mom was a nurse. And because of that, they had more resources in some ways than, than the community, than others in our community. My first exposure to white people was through some nuns um, who started a nursery school. Um, Sister Barbara Treadgold and Sister Jill Hetherington. Sister Jill became my godmother. And uh, in nursery school, these were Anglican nuns. And that was my first exposure, probably about three or so years old. Then I started uh, primary school. And what our parents did is they wanted to give us the best opportunities possible. And they sent us to multiracial schools. There were a few schools that would allow black children to, to come and learn in there. So from the age of six, I started going to multiracial schools. So there would be black, brown, white kids, but mostly white. Now, I lived in two worlds from childhood. So I want you to understand that I've got a childhood that ends up with me in two worlds, because some of the years I actually ended up in a boarding school. So 
I would be fully immersed in the world of white people. And I would also go home and I'll be fully immersed in the world of black people. And, um, and see, it's, it's now that I'm, it's only now that I'm beginning to fully understand or to begin to appreciate, maybe not fully understand, but appreciate some of what was going on in my childhood and some of the things that, that I experienced even as I was growing. So, probably around 1978-79, we had a major incident that affected me as a young man, as a, as a child. There was Air Rhodesia two times. Air Rhodesia planes were shot down by the terrorists as what was, they were called by the white community. Two times they shot down Air Rhodesia planes. And I'm not, I think it was the second time that that happened because, you know, there was doubt whether maybe they made a mistake, they thought they were shooting down a, a military aircraft and then they shot um, a civilian one. But on one of the occasions, there were survivors, children and women, and they were shot down and killed even after they had survived. And the white community was seriously hurt by that whole thing. And I felt the pain of the white community. I remember during that time, it was the war time, and it was a difficult time for us as black children in that white community. And <laughs> um, I remember one of the kids, this is, you know, these are some of the memories that, that come up. One of the kids now is saying, uh, he talked to one of my, one of our friends, a black, a black friend. And I don't know what was, what was going on in his mind, but what he actually said is, I hate blacks. And he's talking to a black person. I hate blacks. I want you to think about that. Because I have actually thought about it and I've realized, oh, okay, actually there's something that makes sense here. Dr. Eborola, you've taught us in your, one of your classes about othering and what happens when you make another person the other. There's them and there's us. And what was actually happening in this young friend of ours. I don't even remember who it was and I don't know who it was. I was not the one who was told that, but we um, <laughs> picked it up. And for us as, as black kids that, you know, learning together with these white kids, we were thinking, oh, I hate blacks. Now what do you do with that? But when you think about it and you think about what was being done to white people, I can understand 
why he said that statement. And then he says, but I'm not talking about you. He's talking to his black friend now. No, I'm, I don't mean you. Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> now, what has happened in him is there is something there that he's saying, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not his friend who he hates, who is black, but he hates. I don't know if you're, I don't know if you're hearing what I'm saying. So there's a categorization, and this is the beginning of what actually happens in terms of the victim mentality, and which causes us to then come out and become perpetrators against the other. I get into my black community. And the street next to us, there's this commotion and this crowd. And I remembered that from my childhood. That song, Mom and Dad, when I die or if I die. Don't weep, it's the war. So you've got a black community and young people in our community, neighbors of mine that I knew were going out to kill the white person. And then I've got the white person who's saying, I hate blacks. And I'm in the middle of that. Now, this for me has actually helped me in some ways to, to, to understand some of the intricacies and the pain that goes through these things. And some of the pain as well, a bit later on, this is the other pain that I have felt as a young person. You see, I'm not white. I'm sure you can see that I'm not white, okay. <laughs> But um, I was in the white community. But then a, a bit later on in my early adult years, they began to call us, I'm talking about they, my fellow black people, they began to call us the salads. The salads and the nose begrades. Now, let me explain that. A salad is someone who eats salad. You know, salad is not part of the, 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 the African menu. Okay. <laughs> so it's a Western menu. So when they called us salads, they were basically saying, you're not black like us, you're salad eaters. And then they called us nose brigades, speaking through the nose. Uh, the kind of English that I speak, which is kind of a little, you know, uppity and so forth. I was always, I always felt I'm part of the community. So, <laughs> I don't belong. I don't belong to the white community. I don't belong to the black community. I don't belong anywhere. Now, let me go into the scriptures now. 
What has happened? What happened to Joseph? Was Joseph did not belong. He was their brother, but they made him a victim. They sold him into slavery. And what is it that made them do that? They saw him as an entitled young man. And they, they didn't call him our brother when they were selling him. There comes that dreamer. He's not your brother anymore. He's that dreamer. And in fact, they were not thinking of selling him. They were thinking of killing him. And somehow, his life was preserved. But they actually had decided that they were going to kill. So there's a malevolence, a bad wish towards people that can come into our hearts. And uh, what, what has happened? You know, if you listen to Joseph's words the first time he speaks about this whole issue, and he's talking about it when he's a prisoner, he says, when, when, uh, when you go to Pharaoh, remember me because I was sold. Okay, the exact wording, I don't have it, but I was sold into slavery. And I've done nothing wrong to be where I am right now. That was his language. But then when he reveals himself to his brothers, a little bit later, he says, it was not you who sent me here, it was God. How did God send Joseph to Egypt? God sent Joseph to Egypt by selling him to slavery and by putting him into prison so that he would end up where he was. What happened between I've done nothing wrong and they sold me into slavery to God is the one who sent me here. How, what happened there in his language? And how is it that he ends up saying it is God who sent me here? It's a perspective that God begins to give to us. And what I'm saying to you is what happened with Joseph is that he got to a place where he was seeing this situation no longer as a victim, but as a steward of power. As someone who has power and he's using it as a stewardship. Somebody who God has raised up and given position of power and leadership. So, he moved from being the victim to becoming the steward of power 
in his understanding. So, there's a difference between Joseph and Jonah. <laughs> Jonah, Jonah didn't see what God was doing and he refused to see God. As far as Jonah was concerned, there was one thing that was supposed to happen to those people of Nineveh. They were supposed to die. That was it. And that was the bottom line of the fight between God and Jonah. Jonah remained a mean-spirited, racist, ultra-nationalistic leader, even though he was a prophet of God. Do you understand that? Even though God was using him, he was still racist and ultra-nationalistic, and God had to work on Jonah's heart. Some, there's somebody, there's a study that I, I'm forgetting who it was actually, but it's just something that I'm remembering right now, that there's somebody who talked about Jonah actually staying in Nineveh, you know, after, after the book of Jonah, and that there's some, you know, there's some, there's some understanding or there's some, you know, biblical studies that have come up with that conclusion that he actually became a missionary to the people of Nineveh. Because the book ends with him and God fighting over this issue. These are people. So, I want you to see that today's victim is tomorrow's perpetrator. When you get power one day, if you have not moved from being a victim in your heart to becoming a steward of power who sees that power as a trust that God has given to use for his purposes, you will become a perpetrator who will use your power as an instrument, as an instrument of destruction, as an instrument to harm. Let's move on to the New Testament. See, on Tuesday, to the right here in chapel, it was love God, love your neighbor. Well, I'm taking it a step further. Love your enemy. Love your enemy. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ says to us. Love your enemy. This is how the Lord Jesus can pray a prayer like, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. This is how Stephen, even while he is being stoned, could say, Lord, do not hold this against them. And he prayed an intercessory prayer even while they were stoning him. And it says there was a certain man called Saul who approved of his stoning. What I'm saying here is 
there is something that happens in the spirit realm as you pray these kinds of prayer. You see, that portion in Matthew, it says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. How do you become perfect? Well, the God loves even those who hate him. One of the things that I really enjoyed, you know, um, across the street, in Asbury University a few, a few weeks ago, one of the young people was leading worship. And he had a t-shirt on and it was written, love thy haters. Love thy haters. I loved that t-shirt. Love thy haters. And the only way you can get to that is if God has given you that. I'm going to end with this by saying God has raised us to become stewards of power. There are many things that we have gone through. There's a lot of pain that we have gone through in life. And if you continue to hold on to pain, you will always be in that trap of victim-perpetrator trap. This is the thing that I think happened to President Mugabe. He became trapped in that victim-perpetrator trap. Instead of becoming like Garfield Todd, he became like Ian Smith, who he hated so much. And he used Smith's laws against his own people, up to the point where things fell apart, to the point where he was removed from power by force. How are you using your power? How are you using the trust that God has given you? Has God changed your heart? Has God moved your heart so that you become somebody who he can trust with power and to bring transformation to society? Africans, I'm talking to African community and as an African person, Africans, we are blessed especially people who are here in the diaspora and even on the continent. God has made us millionaires and billionaires. I know Africans who are millionaires and billionaires. He has scattered us among the nations. He's revealed himself to us and through us. And I'm talking to the African people, we need to retake our place that God gave us in antiquity and begin to be a steward of power and do what God has called us to do. But I'm not just talking to African people because there are people from all over the world here. I'd like you to think about this as we close and I'll, um, you know, we're going to sing a song 
um, which I would like us to sing together in a prophetic manner. Now, this is something, I, 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 I'm from a Pentecostal background, so we're going to prophesy um, to sing over our pain, to sing over our situations, to sing over our nations, whatever it is that has caused you pain. I'm praying that today God will bring it to you, to your remembrance, and God will turn it around. This song is saying God turned it around, and God can turn around the thing that has caused you so much pain to make it something good. And like Joseph, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. You need to get above the evil that people have done to you and move into the area where you can see what God is doing. That's how Joseph did it. And that's how you are going to be able to do it. Stephen saw Jesus standing. That's how he could do it. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect.